Hi, I'm Stephanie Harris. And I'm Karen Trico-Stewart. We hope that you enjoyed Season 1 of Burden from Power of Pod. And if you did, we want to share with you a true crime podcast we think you'll really like. It's called Ozark's True Crime. Season 2 is out now and tells the story of the Feeney family murders. On February 25, 1995, John Feeney said goodbye to his wife and two young children. He then left to drive to a teacher's conference an hour and a half away. Two days later, his wife and two young children were found brutally murdered. There are some who are convinced John Feeney snuck away from the conference, drove back home, killed them, and then returned. John was ultimately found not guilty in court, but there is so much more to this story. Join journalist Anne Roderick Jones as she returns to her hometown to investigate the murder of Cheryl, Tyler, and baby Jennifer and answer the question, is John a killer who escaped consequences or an innocent man who lost his entire family? Anne speaks with local reporters, lawyers, and judges, along with family, friends, and some of John Feeney's former students. What she discovers is unsettling, including some details that were omitted from the trial. We're going to play the first episode of Season 2 for you now. And if you like what you hear, make sure to search for Ozark's True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to hear more episodes and subscribe to the show. Here is Ozark's True Crime. Edit Audio This podcast discusses murder and violence against children. Please take care while listening. It's October 5, 1996. John Feeney sits in a courtroom in Greene County, Missouri. He is being tried for the murder of his wife Cheryl, his six-year-old son Tyler, and his 18-month-old daughter Jennifer. A jury of eight men and four women, who deliberated for more than five hours, sit opposite of the 36-year-old man. He's wearing a dark suit with a crisp white dress shirt and his signature oversized glasses. Judge Miles Sweeney reads out three verdicts. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. John braces himself on the defense table, bows his head, and begins to cry. This moment would mark a dead end for the case and would leave the town of Springfield in shock. John was the sole suspect, pursued by police and prosecutors, and many people in Springfield believe that he was the murderer. So is this a killer who was let off the hook? Or is this an innocent man who just lost his entire family? There's a big difference between being found not guilty and innocent. And I said, I have seen no evidence that he did it. And when you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, I would hope to God that that's the case. You know, having been a crime scene officer and a homicide officer for years, and I've tried, I don't know, six, seven murders, I think everything points to John Feeney. I don't think anything points anywhere else. And who else would have done it? I'm, I just have no doubts that John did. He was a demon. He was a devil. This is the Feeney Family Murders, an Ozark's true crime story. And I'm your host, Anne Roderick Jones. If you listen to the first season of our podcast, you'll know that I'm from Springfield, Missouri. I was 15 years old when this triple homicide happened. This season of the podcast will explore the lives of John and Cheryl Feeney, along with their young children, and ultimately try to find out who killed Cheryl, Tyler, and Jennifer.
hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Feeney family lived in a new and tidy subdivision in Springfield, Missouri, a town nestled in the thick of the Ozark Mountains. They were what some would call the typical all-American family. February 25, 1995, was a sunny Saturday. Cheryl went shopping at Dillard's department store in the Battlefield Mall, while John watched their two children, six-year-old Tyler and 18-month-old Jennifer. When she returned to their home, the family ate lunch together. John did some yard work and pool maintenance before leaving for the weekend. He was attending a science conference for area high school teachers. It was taking place at Tantara Resort in Lake of the Ozarks, an hour and a half from their house. Shortly after lunch, he got in his red Ford 1989 Mustang convertible and drove off to the conference. John Feeney would later say that this goodbye was the last time he saw his family alive. Two days later, on Monday, February 27th, Cheryl, Tyler, and Jennifer were found dead in their home on Nottingham Street. I will never forget hearing the news that day. Just like the Springfield Three, it was all anyone could talk about. Cheryl was expected at the hospital that morning. She was a highly respected RN and the head of the gynecological surgical team at Cox Hospital in Springfield. She was supposed to deliver a lecture early that Monday, and it was unlike her to be late for a shift. Her coworkers became concerned. Teresa, who wants to be known only by her first name, worked with Cheryl at the hospital. And uh, I'd come by the front surgery desk to get my assignment for the morning. And uh, the secretary there said, Cheryl hasn't reported to work today. And I'm like, what? Well, the kids were sick. Did you check the pediatrician's office? And she said, yes, we checked the pediatrician's office. The babysitter's called. They haven't arrived at the babysitter. We've called John's work. Nobody knows where she is. 
Teresa told us that the fire department, who will often arrive first on the scene, was handling a factory fire that morning and would be delayed. So she offered to drive over to Cheryl and John's house to see if her friend was there. So I drove over there to Cheryl's house, and I'm pulling up to the house. I noticed the Sunday paper is sitting in the front yard. This is Monday morning, and I'm thinking, uh uh-uh. Cheryl would not leave the Sunday paper sitting in the front yard. Well, I pull into the driveway, and I get out and go up to the front door, and I ring the doorbell. And as I'm, I'm standing there, on her front door, there's this cutout glass, just a rectangle shape, cutout glass, and it's painted white from the inside. And I'm thinking, what? That's weird. I've never noticed that before. Rang the doorbell, nothing, still nothing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to turn around and I'll just go back to work because she's not answering. But as I turned around, I thought, Teresa, try the front door, turn the knob. So I turned the knob and it turned. And I'm like, oh, the deadbolt for sure will be locked. And Cheryl had three locks on her door. Turned the knob and I pushed on the door. The door opened. And I'm calling her name, Cheryl, Cheryl, nothing. Once in the house, Teresa goes to call 911. To notify them that this is something more than just a missing, you know, somebody not showing up to work. And I hung up the phone from them and I called my work to give them an update. As I'm talking to them on the phone, I turn and I look through the door that goes out into the garage. So the garage door was shut, but this door was wide open. And Cheryl's car is sitting with the hood up and a TV and some other stuff that was on top of the car. And I thought, this is so odd. What is going on? Of course, my heightened level of awareness is just rising. And I heard a clicking sound on the phone and thought somebody was on the line or still in the house. So when I got off the phone, I immediately went out the front door and left the front door wide open and then stood out in the driveway waiting for the police to get there. After 20 minutes of waiting outside, the police finally arrive. And it was one man, older gentleman, and he stood there in the driveway asking me some questions. And in my head, I'm thinking, we need to get in. We need to see what's going on inside. And um, I thought, okay, I'm going to follow him in there. And if he tells me no, then, then I won't go. So I follow him straight in there, walk into the house. He's asking me why I think it's a burglary. I told him that I saw some things missing, some things had been rearranged in the house. When we went back into the house, walked into the living room, I noticed these white shoe footprints that was going across the living room into the kitchen. And I said to him, watch out, there's footprints there because I didn't know if they were wet or not. And I didn't, I didn't want him to mess up the footprints. You know, I just didn't know. So he goes into the kitchen area, he sees in the garage and he comes back through, looks around behind the TV. He calls some other code over on his walkie talkie thing, whatever that was. And we head back to the bedrooms. We get to Cheryl's room. I stand in the hallway up against her, kind of the just before you enter the door, so I couldn't see anything. He's standing in the doorway, 
looking in the room, flips the light on, and the expression on his face, his eyes get big, his mouth drops, and he just stares. And I knew something was wrong. And I said to him, she's dead, isn't she? And he said, what? And I repeated it. She's dead, isn't she? And he said, look and see. And I was like, what? In my head, look and see. And I thought, okay, okay. I was trying to justify, he needs me to identify the body or something. So I step inside and sure enough, horrible. What Teresa saw was shocking. Cheryl Feeney was found lying face down and appeared to be posed on her waterbed, which had been turned up to the highest heat. Cheryl had multiple wounds to the face and neck that likely resulted from a blunt instrument. I stepped out of Cheryl's room. He went into Tyler's room, flipped on the light, and Tyler was laying on his back with his left knee bent up, you know, and his right leg kind of crossed over his left knee. But he had a pillow over his face, covering his face. We later find out that Tyler also had multiple wounds to his face. In another bedroom, Jennifer, the 18-month-old daughter, was found in her crib and had been strangled by a cord. The house was ransacked, and the basement door appeared to be kicked open. The words die and bit, that's B-I-T, were written in beige paint on the wall. I was terrified. I was terrified. And while all of this was happening at 1993 Nottingham Street in Springfield, John was reported to be in room 517 at Tantara Resort at Lake of the Ozarks in Osage Beach. The teachers' conference, Interface 95, took place at the resort, which again was about 90 miles from their home in Springfield. Osage Beach is a lake town set in the backdrop of the Ozark Mountains with over 1,000 miles of shoreline. You might know this place from the show Ozark. Tantara was a lake resort there, with swimming pools, golf, water skiing, and a water park. It was popular for family vacations if you had the means, and it was also a common location for conferences. My Aunt Carolyn was a science teacher and attended these before retiring. It was like a meeting for junior high and high school science teachers, and they had different workshops. You know, you could attend what you wanted to or what you didn't want to. (laughs) It's easy to hide there, really. I mean, there's a lot of different like there's a big hotel that has several floors and then they have separate a lot of separate cottages you know that you can rent it's a it's a nice place it's been there for years john was a well-respected chemistry teacher at glendale high school and he was set to give a talk at the conference that weekend he left his house on february 25th a saturday afternoon and drove to osage beach when he arrived he went to dinner with pam probert a fellow science teacher from a different town who was also attending the conference. After having dinner together, at 8.33 that evening, John and Pam are pulled over by an Osage Beach police officer for speeding. John was driving 52 in a 35-mile-per-hour speed zone. Police issue him a ticket, and because he lived over 50 miles away, there's a rule that they have to hold on to his driver's license to make sure he doesn't skip town without paying the fine. After John is pulled over, he and Pam head back to the hotel. They were supposed to attend some teachers' parties that evening. The conferences are sort of notorious for them. 
but John told Pam he had a headache and was going back to his hotel room. It's reported that the two then parted ways. At this point, John goes back to his hotel room and calls Cheryl. It's around 9.15 p.m. Phone records show that the call lasted about five minutes. John then drives to the Osage Beach Police Department in order to pay that speeding ticket and pick up his driver's license. According to police, it was approximately 10.30 p.m. when John paid the ticket. And according to John, after leaving the station, he returned to his room where he spent the rest of the evening alone and asleep. It was likely during this time frame when his family, Cheryl, Tyler, and Jennifer, were murdered in their home. Steve Chadrick, who was also presenting at the conference, said that he had spoken to John in person on the morning of Monday, February 27th. They then returned to their respective rooms, and that's when John got the call that they couldn't find Cheryl. Information kept coming in, and eventually John's father called to tell him that his wife and two children were dead. Steve, who had known John Feeney for over 20 years, remembered that John was crying and just totally removed. He kept saying, this can't be, this can't be. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When investigating this case, we came across a few adjustments to John's statement. During the initial claim to investigators, John said that he went to sleep on Saturday night after parting ways with Pam and paying his speeding ticket, and he did not leave his room again until 11 a.m. the next morning. But during a search of his belongings, a receipt from McDonald's in Osage Beach with a timestamp of 6.59 a.m. on February 26th was found in John's car. When presented with this receipt, John said that he had forgotten that he went to McDonald's to buy breakfast that morning. This is the first time we're presented with an inaccuracy in this case. So why would John lie about being at McDonald's on the morning of February 26th and say that he was in his room? Could it have been an oversight? He had found out about the murder of his family, so maybe this detail was just not at the front of his mind. So here's what I'm trying to find out. What happened after 9.30 p.m. on Saturday night when John last spoke with his wife, Cheryl? That's a great question. I don't know. I think based on the evidence that was presented and everything that I do now, it is likely that John Feeney did not kill his family. That's definitely a long way from, I know John Feeney is innocent. And it's that gap that I have to navigate. And I don't know where I come down. It's been a quarter century. 
I still think about Feeney on an almost daily basis. That's journalist Ron Davis, who covered this case extensively. Like Ron, I also think about this case a lot, especially after investigating the case of the Springfield Three, who have never been found. What went wrong here? Was John a loving husband who was suffering an unimaginable loss? Or was he a calculated mastermind who just got away with murder? On the next episode of The Feeney Family Murders, we're going to take a deeper dive into the crime scene and why investigators would later agree that it appeared to be staged. The door uh, had a footprint on it, like it was kicked in. The basement door looked like it was kicked in. But there was no meat on the screws. You know, when you, when you kick a door in, it rips the screws out, right? Which leaves pulp on the screws. None of the screws had any pulp on them, which means that they were unscrewed. The door was never kicked in. Feeney Family Murders is part of the Edit Audio original series, Ozark's True Crime. It is written and hosted by me, Ann Roderick Jones. This episode was produced by Ali Sirwa and Kathleen Speckert and was edited, mixed, and mastered by Ali Sirwa. Our executive producer is Steph Colburn. Thank you immensely to the entire Edit Audio team and Patrick Rindle for the theme music. To those who generously shared their time and information with me, thank you. A special thank you to Teresa and also the local Springfield journalists who shared their numerous archives to make all of this possible. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at hello at editaud.io. That's H-E-L-L-O at E-D-I-T-A-U-D dot I-O. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.